keep Psalm 90 open. We'll be looking at that as we, as we go through. I want to begin with a question. Um, when was the last time you felt limited by time? When was the last time you felt limited by time? Maybe it was the essay deadline and it was looming and it used to be days away, now it's hours away, now it's minutes away and you feel uh, constrained by time and you realise that you're a time-bound creature. Or maybe it was the moment that you were in a traffic jam uh, late for an appointment and you realised there was now nothing I can do to stop the clock, Um, I'm going to be late. We're limited by time, aren't we? And alarm clocks and diaries and calendars all remind us that we are creatures who are bound by this thing called time. I wonder too when you felt, ever felt the preciousness of time, the preciousness of time. Maybe that feeling when you're on holiday, having a great time by the swimming pool or in the Lake District or camping if you enjoy that sort of thing. And that you're aware that the days are passing by and you'll soon be back to normality. Or maybe more seriously, you're someone who's experienced the death of a loved one. And every day with that person before they died was a reminder of just how precious time is. In those moments, we find ourselves craving the ability to stop the clock, to have a a time turner like Hermione Granger in Harry Potter, or a 50 pence piece like in The Queen's Nose, if anyone's seen that, or Berners Watch in Berners Watch. Mm, Am I showing my age? Um, (laughs) Jack's with me and Craig's with me, surprisingly. We're time-bound creatures, aren't we? Who, we, who know that seconds are passing by us, that days are passing by, that years are passing by, decades, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. Which is why it's so hard, I think, to comprehend a God who transcends the limits of time, who does not need a watch, who does not need a calendar, who's not constrained by time like we are, who does not move through time like we do. A God without limits, a God who is eternal. Now we've been away from real food for a few weeks. Um, I just want to remind you what we've seen so far in this series. Um, We've been looking at the ways that God the creator is different to us, his creatures. Different ways that God is different to us. We've seen, if you remember, that God alone is infinite. He is without limits. He's unable to be measured. He is the one who holds the oceans in the palms of his hands and who stretched out the heavens between the breadth of his uh, fingers and the one who nobody can measure. He's the God of no limits. We've also seen that God is incomprehensible, able to be known truly by his creatures, but not known fully by us. He remains and always will remain ungraspable to finite creaturely minds. And yet, as Jack reminded us, he has made himself known to us graciously in a way that we can understand like a father might do so with their child. We've seen too that God is independent. He needs nothing and yet he gives everything. He is self-sufficient. He's self-existent. He is the great I am whose grace has overflowed to humanity. And today we're going to think about God's eternal nature. The God who is the potentate of time. Have you ever sung that and wondered what on earth does that mean? This is the ruler of time. He's the one who holds time in his hands, as another song puts it. So what does it mean for God to be eternal? And how does knowing that impact us, his time-bound creatures? That's what we're thinking about tonight. We're going to think about this with three points. Then I'm going to draw out two implications for us at the end. So firstly, God has no beginning. God has no beginning. 
Psalm 90 uh, that Kingston read for us is a great place to go to reflect on God's eternity. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. You see that in the, the heading to the psalm. And we see from the first couple of verses that God has no beginning. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everything we see and touch in this world had a beginning. The pen you're holding in your hand, the chair that you're sitting on, the person who is sitting in the chair with the pen in hand had a beginning. There was a time when you did not exist and there was a time when you were brought into existence. But verse 2, uh, and verse 2 tell us, tells us even the mountains uh, were born. Now at MIC last weekend, some of us walked up Todd Crag, is that what it's called, Jack? Mm-hmm. Todd Crag. Um, we looked out at the mountains in the Lake District. And those mountains, they seem so permanent, don't they? So immovable, so secure. And yet they had a day when they were born. Um, verse 2 says, a day when God created them. As with the whole earth, everything in this world had a beginning apart from God. He alone is the uncreated creator, the eternal one, the everlasting one. As God says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He has no beginning. There is no other thing that gave God life. He's the independent, self-existing creator who has always been. In this great unfathomable thing that we call eternity past, before the beginning of creation, God was there, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God has no beginning. Secondly, God has no end. Have a look at verse 2 again. From everlasting, that's eternity past, to everlasting, you are God. God is not there one moment and then gone the next. He is and he was and he is to come. He will keep every promise he has made. He will always be there for us. He will never change. He will never cease to exist. He will never stop ruling this world. He'll never stop ruling his people. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Now we see this in uh, Psalm 102 on your sheets in verses 25 and 26. We read there, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. God is the only constant in a constantly changing world. He's the only immovable being in a constantly moving world. And he's the only eternal being in a very temporary world. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He has no beginning. He has no end. And thirdly, God doesn't age. Now, one thing I've been trying to teach us throughout this series is that God, our creator, is very different to us, his creatures. Hopefully you've been picking that up by now, the creator-creature distinction, the, the ways that God is different from us. God isn't just a supercharged creature. He's not just a better version of me and you. He's a completely different being. There is a vast distinction between the creator and his creatures. And we need to bear that in mind when it comes to thinking about God's eternity. Let me try and illustrate this. I wonder if you've ever uh, been to a, a children's magic show when you're growing up and uh, you know, the magician is there doing all the tricks. They're, they're probably in brightly checkered trousers. 
with a box full of magic and balloon modelling. I think they're the essentials if ever you want to uh, pursue that as work in the future. And you might have seen the trick that magicians do where, um, I'm going to call it the rope in the bag. The rope in the bag. I'm sure it's got a different word, different name. But there's a bag and there's a rope. And the rope looks like a little rope at first, but then the child is asked to pull out. And then as they pull the rope, there's just rope after rope after rope, all these different colours, metre after metre of brightly coloured rope. Has anyone ever seen anything like that? Okay, great. Um, well, we could think of our lives a little bit like one of those uh, colours on the rope. Here for a short time and then gone. And we might be tempted to think of God as a bit like the whole of the rope, who has been around longer than we have and who goes on longer than we do. But there's more to it um, than that when we think about God's eternity. He's more like the magician holding the rope than the, the rope itself. It's not just that God has a longer life than we do and therefore lives for a greater amount of time than we do but that he experiences time very differently to us, his creatures. For us, time passes, doesn't it? Moment by moment, minute by minute, and it's the same every day of our lives. We move through time. We experience time as the past and the present and the future. We talk about yesterday and today and tomorrow. But God does not live through time like we do, and he doesn't experience time like we do. Just have a look at verse 4 in Psalm 90. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Just think back over the last thousand years of human history. In the 11th century, castles started to be built in Europe. In the 12th century, China produced the first hand-stitched book. In the 13th century, buttonholes were introduced in clothing. The 14th century, glasses were first used. In the 15th century, playing cards were invented in Egypt. In the 16th century, the Mona Lisa was painted. In the 17th century, the scientific revolution. In the 18th century, the French revolution. 19th century, slavery, slavery was abolished in the West. In the 20th century, two horrific world wars. And for God, those thousand years, with all that history, all those people, all those events, all those moments, are like a day that has just gone by or like a brief watch in the night. He has a different relationship to time because he is the creator of time. He created the night and day, as we read in Genesis. He created the sun and the moon. He began the clock at creation and he created seconds and minutes and days and months and seasons and years and decades and centuries and millennia. And because God is the creator of every moment of time, he's not bound by it like we are, and he does not move through it like we do. He's eternally present to all of time, all at once. He's fully present to the future. He's fully present now. He's fully present to the past. He's the ruler, the creator, the potentate of time. Nothing escapes him. Nothing passes him by. A thousand years are like a day in his sight. We're like the people who are walking uh, down in the parade, walking through life with a time-bound perspective. God is like the one in the watchtower, taking it all in for all of time. As Paul says in 1 Timothy, God is the king of ages, different to us, not bound like us, but the creator of time. Now, we must confess that this is an area where it's very hard 
to wrap our heads around, isn't it? We feel our limits here. It's very hard to talk about God's relationship to time when we are so bound ourselves by time. How can we begin to imagine eternity before God created time? How can we begin to imagine what it's like to take in all of time all at once like God does? What we cannot comprehend, God is fully able to. He's a God who doesn't age, he doesn't go grey, he doesn't forget, he doesn't change. He's the God who created time and yet works through time and in time for the good of his creatures. Again, in the song that we sing, none above him, none before him, all of time in his hands. Well, let's start to think about some of the implications of this. And hopefully this will uh, clarify some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, Just two ways as we uh, conclude um, that this should change the way that we uh, think about ourselves and the way that we think about God. So firstly, our sin. I think God's eternity reminds us just how foolish it is to rebel against our creator God. It's rumoured, you might have heard this, that when uh, Kevin Spacey did a tour around uh, Buckingham Palace, the now disgraced actor Kevin Spacey, um, he broke protocol and he sat down in the royal throne uh, to pose for, for photos. He's out of place there, isn't he? It's foolish. And that's what sin is. It's sitting ourselves on the throne and pretending that this life exists for us and for our sake. It's it's attempting to seize the crown and rule ourselves and dethrone God. And God's eternity reminds us just how foolish that is. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. He is the one enthroned forever. Whereas we're described in the words of verses 5 and 6. Have a look at verses 5 and 6 in Psalm 90. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. You might have seen the crocuses and the snowdrops coming up around Lancaster. Um, Beautiful signs of spring, which will soon be gone. We're beautiful, glorious creatures that are made in God's image, who will soon be gone. How foolish it is to set ourselves up against our eternal creator, just how foolish that is. And because he is the eternal God, no sins that people commit will ever escape his notice. And no sins will be forgotten through the passing of time. Just have a look at verse 8 of Psalm 90. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. When it comes to us as creatures, time has an effect on how we view the past, doesn't it? Someone might have grieved us in months or years gone by. Maybe they've sinned against us. And often with the passing of time, I think two things can happen. The first is that we can slowly let go of those things. Time is a healer, um, as the song goes. Or another thing can happen over time. That grievance gets worse and worse and begins to fester and becomes bigger in our minds. And the wounds might deepen. The passing of time changes our attitude to past sin, doesn't it? But that is never the case with the eternal God. He never forgets. He never ignores. He never covers over. He never responds differently as time passes on. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And he's present to all of time, yesterday, today and forever. Our secret sins are in the light of God's eternal presence. We cannot flee. We cannot hide And God can never forget. Which is why I'm not going to end the talk there. Because I want to remind you again just how good 
the gospel is when we consider God's eternal nature. So let's think um, finally about our priest. Our priest. Now, as with every other attribute of God, God's eternity, I think, just blows our minds when we come to think about Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, we have the eternal God, the Son of God, who himself created time, taking on time-bound flesh in order to save hell-bound creatures. He came into the world in full knowledge of all the sins we've ever committed and in full knowledge of all the sins we will ever commit in the future. And he bore the punishment for them in our place. But Jesus is not the only the saviour and sacrifice we need, but also the great high priest that we need. I want to take a closer look at the book of Hebrews with you for a moment as we draw to a close and think about Jesus's priesthood. So uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, page number, if you shout it out. 1,205, thank you. I want to think about Jesus, our priest, and connect it up with what we've been thinking about with God's eternity. 1,205. Now, I don't know about you, but the role of Jesus as priest... Um, it's probably something I don't think that much about when it comes to thinking about my Christian life. I think about him a lot as king, as saviour, as sacrifice, priest, him being our priest. I'm not sure if it's as big in my mind as maybe it should be. But it has massive implications for how we live our Christian lives. And it's one area where God's eternal nature makes all the difference. Now you might know the priesthood is a big theme in the book of Hebrews. The word priest or priesthood or intercession occurs 30 t- over 30 times in the book. And chapter 7 is an important part of the argument. Here the writer uh, talks about the Old Testament person called Melchizedek. Um, Melchizedek came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14 for a really brief encounter with Abraham. And he's described there as a king, but also as a priest. And the thing I want you to notice is that Melchizedek is portrayed as an eternal priest. Have a look at uh, verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7. Here um, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Melchizedek. So verse 3, he's without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. (coughs) Talking about Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek surely had a, a father and a mother. He surely had a genealogy and he had ancestors. He was a, a person, he was a human being. But he's portrayed in Genesis and then in Hebrews as someone who doesn't have any of those things, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days and without end of life. That's sounding a lot like what we've been seeing about God's eternal nature, isn't it? Without beginning of days or end of life. And in that sense, says the writer, he resembles the son of God. Now, here's the argument that uh, the writer's making. He's saying that the son of God, Jesus Christ, came in the line of Melchizedek. Not in the line of Levi, but in the line of Melchizedek. Which means he can be an eternal priest for his people. The Son of God, in reality, has no beginning and no end because he's the eternal God. And being the eternal God, he can be the eternal priest that was always promised, who always lives to intercede for his people. Just look at these later verses in Hebrews 7 where the writer compares human priests to Jesus. Verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests, human priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. 
But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. So the writer is saying that our priest, Jesus Christ, is an eternal priest. He needed to live forever with a permanent priesthood so that he could always intercede for any person who came to him. And that is the priest that we have in Jesus. God the Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, right now is interceding as the eternal priest on the eternal throne of the universe. He never changes. He never stops his work. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so there will be no end to his priestly saving work. So put that together with what we've been seeing about our sin. Our secret sins were in the light of God's presence and will be for all eternity. But the Bible tells us now that Jesus is there in the light of God's eternal presence, appealing to the Father on our behalf. That's what intercession means. And giving us eternal access to the Father through his finished work on the cross. We have an eternal priest who is now and who is to come and who has been forever, who saves now and will save completely all those who come to God through him. And so Hebrews continues with these wonderful words of assurance. Um, Hebrews 7, verse 26, just over the page. Verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Here's the point of Hebrews 7. We have such a high priest, an eternal high priest, one who is in very nature God and who is in very nature man and who therefore lives always to intercede for sinners for all eternity. I know that many of you are about to launch into a mission week on Lancaster University campus. And as you do, remember these words in Hebrews 7, that you have an eternal high priest who right now is at the right hand of the Father and who is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So boldly proclaim him, the risen eternal saviour who is able to bring people to God forever and ever. God is eternal, which means God's, God the Son is eternal, which means our priest is eternal, which means our salvation is secure forever and ever and ever. Let me pray as we come to an end. Our Father, there are things about your character and about your nature that we find hard to comprehend and that is natural and normal. Father, what we don't understand, help us to humbly submit to in your word uh, with trust in you, with confidence in you, with thankfulness for all the ways that you are different to us, your creatures. And Father, we thank you so much that um, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped into time to be our perfect sacrifice on the cross, to be our perfect King, and to be our perfect priest who lives forever, always interceding for us, his people. 
Father, we come to Jesus again and we thank you for his work. We thank you that he is the priest that we needed who can bring us to you forever. And so, Father, we confess to you our need of him and we thank you for him once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.